Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, if you have not met me, my name is Alex. Um, I haven't been up here in a while, uh, but I'm on staff. Um, Usually, personally, this is a personal thing, I hate podcasts, which I know is kind of an unpopular opinion these days, but I find them very boring, and I just don't get it, and I'm over it. So if that offends you, we can fight later. But I had a friend who had asked me to listen to a podcast, and so I did, and it was, it was one of the most bizarre things I've heard in a long time. It was about a college girl. She goes to college, and she's standing in the dining hall, and for the first time ever, she realizes that her parents have been making her the same meal every night of her life. Like, how weird is that? How did she think that was normal? That's, that's not normal. If, if some of you are in here tonight and you're just realizing that, that's not normal. But I guess maybe I can't talk. Uh, my family's a little bit strange, too. Uh, like, for instance, little known fact, there are 91 state parks in Missouri. My family has been to 78 of those state parks. There's a few photos here for you uh, for proof. Uh, We went to 78 because when I was like 10, we decided we were going to be those people that went to every state park in Missouri. Let's show the world, I guess we said. Well, we failed, uh, but still kind of a weird flex, uh, and people think it's odd, to say the least. Uh, Maybe families are just strange. I don't know. Sometimes it's quirky stuff, funny stuff, but sometimes maybe it's a little concerning. And other times, I think it's just like downright hard. Some of you know I'm working on a seminary degree, uh, and one of my classes was all about family dynamics. And so they had us do this project where we made kind of like a diagram of all of our family relationships. And so suddenly, when I was done, I had a giant piece of paper with, I, I could see all of the divorces and estrangements and unplanned pregnancies and miscarriages and alcohol abuse and mental illness. You name it, it was on there. And it it was kind of eye-opening for me because it was the first time I had seen just how messy my family is. I don't think I'm alone in that, though. You know, I was talking to a girl a couple weeks ago, and she offhandedly mentioned she had said something that kind of hurt her mom's feelings. But her mom completely brushed it off, said it was fine. Except it wasn't, because for about a week, her mom gave her the silent treatment. And she said, ah, yeah, welcome to growing up in a passive-aggressive home. Another girl I was talking to opened up about her dad's chronic illness. And she said, it just, it just quietly dominates our life. It, 
dictates our schedule, where we vacation, how we spend our money, even what we can talk about. I can't really complain about anything going on in my life, or my dad kind of finds a way to compare it to his illness. I, I don't think he's trying to make me feel guilty, but sometimes I feel like I can't be happy because he's not. A student a few years ago, she had a brother who just couldn't get her life, his life on track. He was addicted to drugs, he was stealing from the family, and so they would get him help, and he would do well for a bit, but then fall back into old patterns, to the point where they had to cut him off financially. And, and through tears, she's sitting there telling me, we're so sad, but we're also just really exhausted. We don't know what to do next. These kind of stories, I don't think they're uncommon. I don't think they're anomalies. Some of you in this room, you've gotten to college only to find that things that you thought were normal were actually pretty dysfunctional. But others of you, you didn't need to get to college to realize that. You've seen the problems in your family for a long time. But we've, we've probably all had moments where we look around and we think, why is my family like this? Why is this happening to me? Why am I dealing with this? And a lot of times it comes as kind of a shock to us, as a surprise. But honestly, it shouldn't. Family dysfunction shouldn't be a surprise. That's because sin, it distorts every relationship that we have. And so because of sin, our family, the people who should make us feel the most loved, the most seen, the most valued, now can become some of the people that make us feel the most unloved, the most unseen, the most unvalued. They can make us doubt our own worth, our identity even. And you might think, okay, this, is, this has got to be an us problem, like a here and now problem. But it's actually, it's an ancient problem. Family dysfunction, it shows up all over the Bible. We're no different than they are. And to prove it to you, I'm going to do something that we don't usually do on a Tuesday night. So, quick survey. Who in here came to this Tuesday night thinking, I'd love to read a genealogy? No one. Fair. Okay, but I want to show us just how sin has been distorting and twisting relationships for thousands of years. So, the genealogy we're going to look at tonight, it kicks off the Gospel of Matthew. So I'm not going to stop at every name, but at certain points, there's a few that I'm going to hit on. If you want to follow along, we'll be uh, in Matthew 1.1. So you ready? Here we go. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, pause. What do we know about Abraham? Well, we know that he was a super faithful guy. We know that he was called the father of the Israelite people. He was called a blessing to the nations. And yet twice, he tells two different kings that his beautiful, beautiful wife, Sarah, is his sister. Because he's afraid that if he's honest, they'll kill him. Is that good? Okay, let's keep going. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, if you've read the story, he's the one who loves his son Esau. 
while his wife, Rebecca, loves their son, Jacob. And so this favoritism, it starts insane competition and a ton of lying, and eventually it completely divides their family. And if you've read this story on your own, maybe, I don't know, maybe it resonates with you a little bit. Because you know what it's like to grow up in a family with weird underlying alliances and family secrets and manipulation. The story gets messier, though, so let's jump back in. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Judah had Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Okay, why is that relevant? Well, because Tamar is his daughter-in-law. When Tamar's husband died, Judah really refused, basically, to financially provide for her. So she tricks him into getting her pregnant by posing as a prostitute. It's a really awful, awful story. But you know what the Bible doesn't do? It doesn't hide it. It shows the dysfunction. It gives us a real picture of the pretty devastating stuff that can happen in families. This, this isn't just an us problem. Next up is Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So you probably remember stories of King David. He was the man after God's own heart. But he was also the man that had a son through an affair. And to cover it up, he has the woman's husband murdered. Sadly, far, far too many of our stories include affairs and infidelity and divorce and broken marriages. And those things, they leave wounds. Let me show you what I mean. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Backstory here is that David's son, King Solomon, became so wrapped up in wealth and women that he set a terrible example for his son, King Rehoboam, to rule. So that when Rehoboam is king, he rules so foolishly, so poorly, that the entire Israelite nation splits into two. Some of you here have had really great role models. You had parents who set awesome examples of how to live life and how to do things. And some of you, not so much. You feel for Rehoboam in this story. Let's keep going. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was a bad dude. He, he worshipped false gods, he killed tons of innocent people, and he even burned his own son as an offering. But the biggest issue was that he pulled other people away from God, too. 
he persuaded other people to commit sin with him. So I realize that this is a bit of an extreme example, to say the least. But some of you in your family, you have family members who are actively asking you to do things that Jesus commands you not to. The Bible says that's dysfunction. And it only gets worse, and so we'll keep reading. Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. Okay, Josiah was actually a really good king, but poor guy, he became king at eight years old. He, be, he started to rule at eight years old, and that was because that happened when his father was murdered. Can you imagine taking on that much responsibility that young? Well, I don't know, maybe some of you can, because for some reason, you've had to grow up way too fast, way too soon. So now you act like a parent for one of your parents or one of your siblings. Maybe you know what it feels like for Josiah to take on too much, too soon. So reading on, Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Jeconiah, he was the last king mentioned, and that's because when the Babylonian Empire came to attack his kingdom, he gave himself up right away and left his people to be captured. So when his people needed them, needed him, he abandoned them. I know, I know that a, at least a few of you probably can think of a time in your life when you needed a family member to protect you to stick up for you, and instead, they looked out for themselves. That hurts, doesn't it? Honestly, whatever you're going through, anything that has happened to you, it, it all hurts. And I actually, I want some of you in this room to hear tonight that what you're enduring, what's going on in your family, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's sin and it's brokenness that you should not have to bear. And that's not, that's not your fault. So I know that sometimes it feels like it's just too much. Like you're going to break and you don't know how to move forward. But hang with me for just a bit. Because I think if we keep reading, there's something that we just shouldn't miss here. So picking back up in verse 12, the genealogy reads, And after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who's called Christ. So why did we read all that? Because of the name in the last line. Because of Jesus. Jesus, the one who came to live a perfect life and bore our sin on the cross and rose again so that we could have forgiveness and eternal life. Jesus, he's the one who came from a long, messy line of relationships full of pain and betrayal, and hurt. I don't know about you, but now, when I read this genealogy, 
I, I like get caught up in it. I feel it. It means something. It means that God, he has a plan. He has always had a plan. He has always had hope in store for his people, and he brought it through the birth of his son into a broken world and broken families. One of the things that I really like about college ministry is when I get to reconnect with old students who have graduated. And so whether it's sitting across a table, grabbing coffee, or on the phone, I love getting to hear the excitement in their voice when they're talking about what, is God, what God is doing in their families. And so finally, they can see what he was doing all those years ago in college when things felt really hopeless, really dismal. And listening to those students, it reminds me that God, he's committed to redeeming stories. He has a plan for our families, just like he did all those years ago in the Bible. He has a plan, and, and he's with you. So I know that family dynamics are tricky. They're really tough. And I know that you guys just came off break. So I'm sure that just like hearing the word family makes you like anxious and exhausted. And I know that it's kind of easy for me to read you a thousand-ish years of history and show you exactly what God was doing. Easy, right? But in your life, you're thinking, what is the point? Even if God is in control, even if he has a plan, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, I'm going to be really honest. I am not able to speak to each and every one of you in your individual situations tonight. And I'm not going to pretend with that that I have any or really all of the answers that you're looking for. But I'm going to give you a few ideas because I think that broadly, most people, again, broadly, fall into uh, a few categories. I think that in family dynamics, we usually do one of three things. We either dive in, we pull away, or we push against. Let me explain. First, there are the people who perpetually dive deeper into their family when things get tough. So these are the peacekeepers, the people pleasers, the perfectionists. Do you guys ever feel that? Do you feel like you're the one trying to keep your family happy, trying to fix everybody else's problems? Maybe you feel like you are trying to hold everything together just so that your family gets along. The problem with that tactic is that it's crushing. It requires you to be somebody else's savior. But you were, you were never meant to be that for your family. Only Jesus can be that for us. So if we put that weight on ourselves, it's going to bury us eventually. So if this is you, if this sounds like you, I would actually suggest setting some healthy boundaries. Like, I don't know, you don't have to be the one that finds a sibling a job every time that they get fired. And you don't have to go home every time your mom says that she's lonely. And you definitely don't have to run interference between your brother and your dad every time they get into an argument. You, you can step back, pray for them, love them well, absolutely. Let go of trying to carry a burden that only Jesus can. So 
There are people that dive in, that try to fix their families. But then there are other people that pull away. They have found over time that it's best to just disengage. So when their family's emotions rise, they withdraw. And when people let them down, they just turn inward. If that's you, I get it. I totally get it. Why would you want to enter the mess, right? Better to put some distance between your family, right? Well, maybe. Maybe. Because if you grew up in an abusive home, then yes, absolutely. Distance and physical boundaries are needed safety for you. So if you are in a, a dangerous living situation, never hesitate to seek help. Our staff here, we are, we are always happy to listen and to help give you resources to get into a safe living situation. But if you're in a family that, like a lot, a lot of families, many families, they're just kind of all over the place emotionally and they're just a bit unreliable, well, I would actually encourage you to enter the mess once in a while. This is maybe not going to go well. Might go poorly, not going to lie to you. You might have some really hard conversations and some hurt feelings and some big disappointments. I know that I have in my own family. The year before, the summer before my senior year of college, I went on Veritas's two-month mission trip to Japan. And it was an absolutely life-changing experience. And while I was there, I decided that I wanted to go back after graduation longer term. Now, my parents and I, we had had some very bumpy conversations about the two-month trip. They had some reservations, to put it very kindly. And so going back, going home, I was not excited at all to talk through these things. I was hoping we could just avoid the conversation altogether. Maybe they wouldn't notice, you know? We'll see. But I kid you not, the night after I got home, my dad asked me point blank what my plans were after college. And I wish, I wish that I could tell you that we had one very reasonable and sensible conversation where we all got on the same page, but that is just absolutely not the way it went down. There were a whole lot of tears, lots of tears. And there were times where emotions would rise so high that somebody would just leave the room. We'd just have to put it on pause for another day. Because my parents, they were confused and upset. They thought I was being impulsive. And of course, that made me feel flustered and small and foolish. And so there were so many times when I wanted to shut down. I'm, I'm sure that they did too. But we kept at it. And little by little, by the time that I left for Japan, they were sad, yeah. But they were also excited. They supported me. I've seen God do some pretty cool things in my family when we choose to engage rather than pull away. It's not easy, but I think it's worth it because God is calling us to be a part of what he is doing. So enter the mess. Okay, so there's people who dive in and there's people who pull away, but then there's people who don't do either of those. Instead, they do everything in their power to push against. They've seen that in their family, it's survival of the fittest. So in order not to get hurt by a fight, it's best to cause one first. 
So they defy, and they argue, and they insult, and they tear down. And again, if this sounds, sounds like you, I really get it. I really understand. If you know, you've seen time and time again that someone will get hurt, then causing the fight means it won't be you. But tell me, is that working? Does it make you feel more at ease, more self-assured when you say terrible words to a family member? Temporarily, maybe, sure. But my guess is that pretty soon those feelings of insecurity and hurt that you were trying to avoid start creeping in again. What if, little by little, super imperfectly, you started responding with kindness rather than anger? What would that do to your family? How would that change your family over time? Here's a different question. How does a beaver build a dam? It's a dumb question, right? We all know the answer. This is not a riddle. This is a real, real question. And the answer is branch by branch by branch. A, a beaver wedges all of these branches together to create a dam that then can change the course of a river. Branch by branch by branch, word by word, instance by instance, you have the ability, the power, the opportunity to cause real change in your family, even if it's slow and small at first. Look, none of what I'm telling you tonight is going to magically change your family. This is all going to be a process. And so if you're feeling pretty overwhelmed, you're feeling like you don't know where to start, and this is maybe the first time that you're even wrestling with some of these questions, reach out to a staff. Or talk to a small group leader here at Veritas. Because we're here for you. We get it. Families are complicated and tough, and it's a two-step-forward, one-step-back kind of thing. But genuinely... This group here is for you, is with you. Because realistically, this group here is a family in itself. And if that sounds too cheesy for you, let's read Ephesians 2.19 to see what it says. It reads, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God together. As the music team comes back up, I, I just want that to sink in. When God sees you, he doesn't see a stranger. He sees his child. You are loved and valued by the Father in a way that you cannot fully comprehend, not yet. That's true for all people who follow Jesus, and it, and it binds us together as brothers and sisters in Christ, in his family. This is a family. We are a family. So if you feel like an alien, like a stranger in your own family, take heart, rejoice, because God, he's creating a new family and his perfect love will drive out any fears or doubts that you might have about who you are. Jesus is inviting us into that family. And someday when he returns, all the pain and the dysfunction that you have felt that you will experience, it will end. And from that point on, we will spend eternity 
eternity as a redeemed family in God's own house. So I, I pray, I pray that God heals and brings unity to your family here and now. But even if he doesn't, we have a confident hope that we are headed to unending life in our good and loving Father's presence. That security, that hope, is what frees us to enter the mess and to trust that God is redeeming the story. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.